is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the Country Hour. A huge thanks to Michelle Stanley and Dan Fitzgerald for looking after the program while I've been away. It is good to be back. I drove from Alice Springs to Darwin last week and my goodness, the Northern Territory is looking the goods. There's plenty of green grass, rivers and creeks are flowing and there's more rain around today, especially in Central Australia. We'll be catching up with the cattle station on the Plenty Highway a bit after one o'clock. Also today, the latest news on a live export ship that is sitting idle off the Victorian coast. Its crew are stuck on board. The owners have fled. What is going on? You'll find out. And we'll also be heading to a shearing shed in Tasmania to see if a shearing world record has been broken. Yeah, I've been through all that before and it's not easy. It's unbelievably hard. But in saying that, he's trained and prepared for it. So he knows, and he's done one before, so he knows what he's going through. So. We are broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC, streaming online. And g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. Now, it is a big week for the NT's commercial barramundi fishery. The season kicks off on Wednesday, and this will be the first year that fishers will need a Section 19 licence to access Indigenous intertidal waters. There's also a new chairman of the NT Barramundi Licensee Committee, Cameron Berryman from Wild Barra Fisheries. He's got the top job there. Dan Fitzgerald caught up with Cam this morning to talk about some of the challenges and changes that this industry is going through. There's a lot of changes going on. We've got our review happening at the moment um, and obviously a lot of things going on with the transition into Section 19 permits and obviously we're, we're just out to try and support the guys through these changes and try and be a, a voice um, to get the fishermen's message across. And can you talk to us about what some of those changes are in terms of those accessing uh, the Aboriginal waters? Yeah, so we're, we're transitioning to a Section 19 permit system, so it's the first year where um, we're operating with these permits and, you know, th- there's some changes that are happening and, and we're all learning as we go, but I think it's a lot better for the future and giving us um, some certainty around our uh, fishery. In terms of access, have things changed too much for your industry? Yeah, obviously, um, many, many Merganellas being closed off uh, for this year. We understand uh, there is further consultations happening with the government and the NLC. Um, We're hopeful that uh, we can gain access at some point, but obviously we respect the decision that's been made at the moment and uh, we hope that we can gain some access throughout the year. The mini minis of Merganella, it's sort of just to the north of the mouth of the East Alligator. Uh, is that an important area for your industry? Absolutely. It's, um, there's been several boats that fish it all year round. It, it's a very productive area. Um, it supplies the fresh fish to the Darwin market, so um, it's going to impact us uh, in, a, in a big way. Uh, but as I say, we're, we're tackling these changes as it happens, and uh, we've got to learn new ways and... and make sure we get fresh fish to the Territorians and Australians. And how are all the, the captains and, and people on the boats going with, the, with all these new changes that they, they have to learn? Oh, it's, it's obviously a stressful time for them. You know, they're getting their boats ready and trying to understand the changes and, and what's required. 
but we're, we're trying to support them through the NTSC and, and keep them informed. Fisheries are working with us as well as uh, NLC are, are providing documentation to them and we've just got to help them and, and be there to answer the questions as, as they ask. Aside from uh, those new access arrangements, uh, are there any other big challenges facing the industry? Yeah, we're going through the re- review at the moment. Um, you know, we're probably halfway through the MAC review and, and that's going to change the fishery in a big way, but we're hoping it changes it for the better um, and secures people that have made investments into the fishery and, and those that have investments, you know, secures the certainty, certainty um, in the fishery and we can provide a better product and, you know, constant product to the market. What is that review looking at? It's looking at everything. It's a full review on the management. So um, everything from gear type um, to areas of operation, um, it's a full review. So um, there's going to be some massive changes come from it, um, but we think it'll be for the better. We're trying to eliminate our interactions with threatened and endangered species. So we're, we're working with fisheries and other members of the fisheries and things to, to get it sorted. Is there a, a deadline for when that might be finished? Uh, no no real deadline set, but we're hoping it happens in a timely manner and um, fisheries and the government work with us to get it done to um, settle the uncertainty. We're only two days away from the start of the uh, official barramundi, commercial barramundi season. Uh, what's it been like uh, getting ready for it? Uh, yeah, it's full on. It's it's the busiest time of the year for us, uh, but we're we're ready. A couple of the boats have already left and getting ready to be on the fishing ground. So first of February, uh, gears in the water and and we're starting to get some product in. Uh, obviously, it's challenging for operators. There's no income for four months for them, so it's the most stressful time because they want to get out there and start earning some income. I know in the prawn industry they can send uh, planes up and spot out the the big mobs of prawns and sort of get an idea and a bit of a gauge of what the season might be ahead like. Do you have any idea what the season will be like until you get the nets in the water? No, it's a bit of a crystal ball, that one. Uh, We look at the rainfall um, in certain areas and have a look when the rain fell and, and what have you and try and work out how much water will be flowing out but until you get there it, it's an unknown um, but look we've we've got boats out there now um, and things are looking positive. Yeah there was that good monsoonal um, period just after Christmas there is that a good sign for the industry? It's a great sign but whether it'll it's a good sign for this year or next year that that's to be seen we think you know that generally the rain will will better the next season so um but we had a bit of a wet last year as well so we're hoping um you know we've got a good few years ahead of us getting enough people to to crew all the boats how has that been this season uh it's been a lot easier this year obviously not so much COVID effective so you know we've, we've managed to secure some good crew we've retained a lot of our guys from last year which is great um so there's some familiar faces around on all the boats and um a few crew of swap boats but they're still within the barramundi fishery so it's fantastic news now it's been a a couple of years since your company wild barra fisheries came to the territory and and bought up a large chunk of the nt's barramundi licenses how things gone uh since 2020 it's been a massive learning curve, that's for sure. It's um, it's been testing, uh, but you know we're here for the long run and um, want to work with all you know operators and, and try and better the fishery. Um, 
we've still got a lot of learning to go but uh, look we're positive and um, hope to get some good quality fish out to all Australians. What have you learnt over that period? <laughs> uh, a lot you know we've changed some of the ways we operate um, crew you know how we manage our crew uh, our operation how we process fish the changing of the market working with all other you know people within the industry it, it's a constant learning curve um, but as I say we, we hope we've made an impact on the fishery in a positive way and, and we want to keep learning and moving forward as we said uh, nets will be in the water on wednesday um i know some captains are a little bit superstitious before they leave port uh do you have any superstitions of your own uh, before the the start of the barra season no no superstitions superstitions uh i'm just happy to see the guys get out and working and uh, we wish them all the best and they just need to stay safe and hopefully bring some fish in uh, for the market oh hopefully it's a good season thanks for having a chat with the country hour thanks very much that is Cameron Berryman, who is the new chairman of the NT Barramundi Licensee Committee. He's also the director of Wild Barra Fisheries. And yes, the season, the commercial season, starts on Wednesday. Hi, my name's Savannah Phillip. I work at Hunter Do Barramundi. We're currently feeding thousands of baby Barramundi right now, and you're listening to the Country Hour. It is 20 to 1. Matt Brand with you this afternoon. 16 crew members on board a live export ship face an uncertain future after already spending months in limbo and anchored up on the southwest coast of Victoria. Have you heard about the Yangtze Fortune? This ship has been anchored at Portland since September last year. This is a real mess. The owners have fled. The ship itself is set to be auctioned off. And yet the Filipino crew are stuck on board in what's been described as a floating prison. Andrea Nierhoff has the latest. Sitting off the shoreline, the Yangtze fortune cuts an imposing figure. The almost 20-year-old livestock carrier was due to deliver cattle from the city of Portland, Victoria, to China, but didn't after a crack was discovered in its hull. A December 2022 judgment by the Federal Court of Australia found the vessel's Chinese owners had abandoned the ship amid mounting debt owed to creditors and have not been providing the crew with food or fuel. While initially more than 35 men were in the crew, a recent court decision allowed that to be reduced to just 16 sailors, what's called safe manning needed for operations such as moving the ship or in case of an emergency. The International Transport Workers Federation, or ITF, claims the group are collectively owed more than a quarter of a million dollars, with wages continuing to accrue. ITF Australian Inspectorate Coordinator Ian Bray alleges a union investigation found some workers' salaries had been paid in the past using their own leave entitlements and other funds. So they were paying the crew with money that the crew already had. Yeah. It's not only the wages that are owed, it's now the back payment of all of the money that we say and we allege has unethically, morally and probably illegally been taken from their funds to pay them and that needs to be replaced as well. Ship welfare officer with Melbourne's Stella Maris Seafarers Centre, June Villa Dollard, says while the men are used to spending long periods of time away from home, concerns about money can take a toll, especially when they have family at home who depend upon it. 
A former seafarer himself, he adds that the sailors have likely been warned off talking about their situation. If the company or the agency will find out if you're talking to the media or if you're talking to any of the authorities, so you'll be blacklisted to their agencies. Instead of getting another contract from them, so they said, oh, you're talking to this one, you, you're squealing, so find another agency then. In an equally precarious position, sister ship, the Yangtze Harmony, has been arrested in Singapore under similar circumstances. The crew there are believed to be under far harsher restrictions, apparently unable to leave the vessel or receive visitors without permission from authorities, prompting the ITF to liken it to a floating prison. The ITF's Assistant Australia Coordinator, Matt Purcell, claims there's a more pressing problem for the sailors stuck in Australian waters, with their insurance due to run out on January 31st. They're fairly comfortable. We can't get them ashore because of the the question of a berth being available and also their insurance runs out shortly and uh, the Port of Portland doesn't want an uninsured vessel alongside. Though abandonment has been on the rise in recent years, maritime experts say Australia isn't normally a hotspot. 109 cases were reported to the International Maritime Organisation between January and December 2022 alone. Worldwide shipping has also had to contend with the impact of COVID-19 and greater scrutiny around the transportation of animals like sheep and cattle. The Yangtze fortune itself was reported in July 2018 for having more than the allowable amount of animal fatalities on board during a 20-day voyage from Portland to Ningbo, China. Of 2,192 cattle, 33 died, exceeding the recommended rate of 1% for voyages longer than 10 days. According to the ITF's Ian Bray, the livestock industry's downward spiral started with government bans on live trade exports due to concerns around cruelty, as well as changing international demand. We're starting to see more and more of these companies facing the, the financial pressures that are current. I think uh, the industry itself is uh, in real hardship. It's not only the livestock that get abused. We're finding now the seafarers do too when things don't go right and these companies can't remain solvent. The vessel will be put to auction on February 10th, with the sale covering operational costs owed to the Admiralty Marshal and any debt owed to creditors. It will either be repurposed or sold for scrap. Matt Purcell says there's a concern the scrap value of the vessel won't be enough to cover all the associated costs. That won't concern the crew because they come in second on the list. Uh, The first people that are paid are the, the lawyers and the Admiralty and then the crew, so... They'll certainly get paid, but some of the creditors might be, mightn't be too happy. The ABC has attempted to contact the owners of the Yangtze Fortune through their legal representatives and has contacted the vessel's insurer. Both parties have declined to comment. That report by Andrea Nierhoff, and you can read more about this online right now if you search for ABC Rural. The headline, Sailors Stuck for Months on Victorian Coast Face Uncertainty as Owners Abandon Ship. What a mess. It is a quarter to one, and you are tuned into the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. I called a mate at the Sydney Markets this morning just to say good day and see if there was anything interesting popping up in the market space. And he said, oh, not really. It's fairly quiet at this time of the year. Actually, a bright pink fruit has started rocking up into the Sydney Markets, and they're selling like hotcakes. Now, I wonder if you can guess which territory fruit he was talking about. I'll tell you all about it after this tune by Paul Kelly. Me, I've never seen Dallas from a DC 
It is 12 to 1 and you are tuned into the Country Hour. Let's head to the Sydney markets where over the last couple of weeks there's been a surprising amount of rose apples rocking up from the Northern Territory. Now these bright pink fruits are sometimes known as water apples or bell fruit. Kevin True is a wholesaler at the Sydney markets. He's got some in store today and says demand has been really strong. Yeah, we're getting some rose apples this last two weeks. Uh, very strange this time of year. Um, quality is actually, last week was really good. This year, uh, this week was a little bit uh, off, uh, a lot of bruising. I'm guessing might have been a bit weather affected um, up north with you guys. How's the weather with you guys, Matt? It's been wet and, yeah, very cloudy, not much sunshine of late. Yeah, I think the wetness has kind of gotten to the rose apples, considering um, a lot of bruising and a lot of marks on the skin. But the quality eating-wise is really good. Uh, sweetness is there. Uh, size is there. It's just, um, yeah, appearance is not, not as nice. Yeah. And if we can just take a step back for a moment in case people listening aren't aware of what, of what rose apples are. They're sometimes called water apples, known as bell yeah. fruit as well, known as the love fruit by some people. Can you uh, tell us a bit about what they look like and what they taste like? So, yeah, um, some people could refer it as a bell apple because it kind of does look like a bell. Um, almost kind of like a pear-shaped, but a bit smaller. Uh, red in colour. They There is different varieties coming green and white, but the red is the most mainstream popular one, also referred as rose apple, just because of the taste. Um, when you eat it, it's texture kind of like, say, a pear and a watermelon, very juicy, very watery, um, sweet. And at the end, there's sometimes a hint of a rose flavor. Uh, very popular with the Southeast Asian community, um, Vietnamese, Thai, Cambodian, Filipinos, and uh, Malaysians. Getting very popular now in China. They're starting to um, see it coming. Um, a lot of uh, imports are getting sent to China as well. Um, unfortunately, we can't import them from Thailand. They, they get really big in size in Thailand, uh, really good eating. Uh, Australian fruit, uh, we just lack the size. I, I guess it's we don't have that real consistent tropical weather all year round. So we do lack a bit of size, but quality-wise, still eat really good. Can you explain to us how the fruit gets used? Um, yeah, people just eat it like uh, a pear, you know, pick it up. Just eat it raw. Yep. Yeah, straight into it. They bite into it. Um, some people do use it in a bit of a mixed uh, fruit salad, um, but mainly you just eat it as it is. Um, I don't... I, I can't recall if any any recipes or any you know way you can cook it, but yeah, it's it's just a, ba- a basic fruit. Yeah, you eat. And what are prices like for growers? They're they're a special line. Uh, there's there's not many big growers, so they always you know hold a really high value price. At the moment, we're selling fifteen dollars a kilo. Uh, last week, the week before, we were, we were got at least twenty plus because of Chinese New Year. Just everything, um, yeah, everything that's uh, nice and beautiful uh, usually yeah, gets a premium during that time of year. But uh, we did miss the market. Uh, just came about a week too late. Um, yeah, but uh, quality-wise, it's pretty average, but we're still getting pretty decent money for about $15. Um, we, you know, we try to push it a bit higher, but just the quality, you know, doesn't let us push that higher price. And are you expecting many rose apples to come your way in the coming weeks? Yeah, I hope so. If we see a start now, hopefully it continues. And um, yeah, I think we're just going to get uh, better as the season goes further. For growers listening to this, um, you know, if, if they send you more, will you take them? There's good definitely. demand. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Definitely will. Uh, Rose Apple is uh, 
is in demand and um you know people are starting to learn what they are and they realize you know it's a beautiful and good eating fruit um a lot of different communities are starting to yeah try them um before we were just um you know we were just selling to the asian community because you know it wasn't popularized but now you know social media the internet you know it's it's getting very very mainstream now they do look good on instagram they're a very pretty yeah. fruit yes <laughs> they are they're one of the prettiest fruits and what's the the mood like in the sydney markets this year with all the i guess all the flooding around the southeast of australia and and, and other issues how are people like yourself going yeah um we are struggling a little bit uh, a lot of uh, produce is scarce you know hard to get and quality wise it's not there uh, the the rains the last couple of months have kind of um, caught up to us now where demand is there but produce and quality isn't and it, it's it's a bit of a struggle but in a sense that um, you know it's it's still quiet time of year you know people still on holidays christmas new years you know everyone's kind of getting back into it now so i feel like there there will be a price hike very soon once you know everyone settles in but uh, you know the last last two weeks has been a quiet trading after yeah the holiday break um thank you so much for sharing some time for us today kevin lovely to hear from you cheers thanks matt appreciate it as kevin true from southern asia produce in the sydney markets and if you're intrigued to try a rose apple then i recommend you get along to the Rapid Creek markets in Darwin. There's a few of them getting around there at the moment as well. Now, on the topic of fresh Northern Territory produce, an award-winning restaurant in Darwin, famous for using local produce and lots of native ingredients, has sadly closed its doors and gone into liquidation. Martin Borsha from Fat Mango spoke to Joe Laverty this morning. Oh, God. Uh, what can I say? Um, yeah, we, it just became impossible. Oh, it's, uh, it's very emotional still. And I, I apologize. It's, um, we tried, um, I had some phenomenal customers, a phenomenal restaurant literally was the best restaurant in town in, in, in our opinion and many other people's opinions as well. Um, but it just got too much, um, with the, Wages went through the roof. Um, I was missing uh, paying bills and suppliers, and that was bad. Uh, we we missed paying things like super, and that's terrible. And um, it um, yeah, it it just got too much. And as as you know, because you saw me a while ago, uh, I've been in this wheelchair after a failed ankle operation since May of last year now uh and i'm still in it and it just became untenable um you know we, we i like i say i made mistakes and i'll forever have to hold my ha- hand up about that but yeah it just it became that i i couldn't i couldn't open the doors we couldn't pay our bills um we it was you know the the illusion of being busy, busy, busy. Uh, the simple fact is trade was down 53% in November and December. Um, and and it just became impossible. And I'm sorry to everybody out there. I'm sorry to... Uh, we had some phenomenal crew over the two and a bit years that we, we opened. Um, I'm sorry to them. I'm... 
sorry to customers of the future, but you never know what's going to happen in the future. You know, maybe, maybe I'll get out the wheelchair. Um, maybe, you know, we never know, but you know, our, our suppliers, I still love the Northern territory. I love Darwin for what it is and what it, what I thought it could be and what it still can be. You know, the produce here is some of the best in the world. Uh, the suppliers are f- amazing. Uh, you know, there's like small local suppliers and the ability of getting unusual ingredients from communities and doing what, what Fat Mango set out to do. Um, it's, it's just a real shame, Joe. Mm. You are, as you, you've outlined, one of the most popular restaurants in the top end and, and it certainly looked busy. It was very difficult to get a booking in your restaurant. Yeah. And if you can fail, what does this mean for I, other restaurants? Are they I, in as much trouble? I, I, I think it's a general, general thing. People, people see busy, busy, busy venues, um, but the margins are, are minuscule minuscule nowadays there's just there's no money i i put everything i had into keeping fat mango afloat literally everything where i'm now sat at home i'm in a destitute um and i think the whole industry is suffering you know there's not this you know we're not driving around in porsches and and Ferraris and stuff with the second-hand second-hand vehicles and bloody just trying to stay afloat and uh, as I say, wages have gone through the roof. Um, so you know we have to we have to pay a lot of wages. And Fat Mango was overstaffed, but we were overstaffed because I wanted to provide a better service than um, than than was on offer. Um, you know, I, I think the whole industry genuinely, genuinely is suffering. And, you know, listening to your show this morning and uh, the government's put millions and millions into the arts industry to get them to rebound. And, uh, and you know, the hospitality industry needs it as well. There's Martin, the chef from Fat Mango, which... Sadly, has closed its doors and gone into liquidation. Martin speaking to Joe Laverty this morning. In a moment on ABC Radio, we'll be speaking to the Weather Bureau to get the very latest and get a sense on what the week ahead has in store. If you have a question for the Bureau, send it through via the text line and we'll put it straight to them. Our text number is 0487 991057 and of course if it's raining at your place this afternoon let the rest of us know we love your weather reports 0487 991057 it is now news time on your ABC 1 o'clock G'day I'm Bill West Uh, been skippering trawlers in the NPF for 43 years and you're listening to the Country Hour Matt Brown with you this afternoon and it is good to be back after two months away. Tell me, is it raining at your place this afternoon? There's a bit of colour starting to pop up on top-end radars and there's a fair bit of rain around central Australia as well. If it's raining at your place, we always love to get your weather reports. Our text number is 0487991057. Al in Humpty Doo says, Welcome home, Matt. Very sad to hear about Martin at Fat Mango. 
He had a go at making a new relish from our sunflower petals, says Al in the do. And Marty says, good to have you back, Matt. Big shout out to your replacement in your absence. She did a terrific job. Absolutely, Marty. Not only is Michelle a wonderful person, but she is a fantastic rural reporter, great presenter, and we were very, very lucky to have her here in the Territory. She's now on her way to Chile for a month. That'd be a good trip, wouldn't it? There was a world record shearing attempt in Tasmania on the weekend. How did it go? We'll find out soon. We'll head to the shed and find out. But first, let's go to the Weather Bureau. Sally Cutter is there this afternoon. Uh, how are you, Sally? Oh, not too bad, thanks. That's the go. There's been a lot of rain uh, over the last 72 hours. Have you got some of those figures from the weekend to share with us? Yep, certainly do. If you we start down through the southern parts, the, it just shows how, because it's been showers and storms, just how it's hit and miss it can be. Maryvale had 84 millimetres and that was basically in the last 24 hours to 9am and that looks like it might be a January record. The Javois has had 67, Air, the Alice Springs Airport 40 millimetres, but Bond Springs turned off 2 millimetres, the Schwartz Crescent 5, so there's, it's very patchy. The Cogra has had 72 millimetres over the last four days. Wow. The Yeah, so there's been, if you've got underneath it, to if you're heading to Rabbit Flat 42, heading up into the Barclay, Alexandria Downs had 13 millimetres. Elliot only had a trace. And Tennant Creek had four millimetres. But we've had some really big falls up in the top end. The Mount Bundy South had 179 millimetres. Mount Bundy North had 121 millimetres. There was some good falls out around the Keep River way. The... the Lost the, the That's okay. The well, I see the ranger. They're, they're big. The they're ranger big. station itself at Keep River got 116 uh, in a 24-hour period. Yeah, so we've we've seen some really really big rainfall totals out there. It's a, and they've, just because these storms have been fairly slow moving, and we've also got those big tropical rainfall totals right down through into Central Australia as well. We got do have a trough moving northwards, and that's trickling off some of those showers and storms. And once that gets into so the the Barkley Tanami area, we had what caused that heavy rain at at Mount Bundy was a very weak low was moving moved across the top end yesterday, and that's going to just sort of meander down and move into the Tanami on Wednesday. And so you got the combination of the trough that coming in, plus a little bit of winds higher up in the atmosphere helping and we could see some very heavy rainfall through then with some totals in excess of 100 millimetres. So it's, through it's the Tanami, did you say? Yeah, Tanami, Barkley wow. and Central Desert. Yeah, it's it's going to be quite wet so and, un, and significantly wet given that some of those roads are still quite sodden out there. We're about to speak to the team at Huckata Station in a moment so they're on the Plenty Highway. Uh, are they likely to get a, a piece of that as well? Oh, they could get some. Javois has had a fair bit of rain. They've had the, so the, the up around the 60, 67 millimetres. So there, there's still those heavy, some isolated heavy falls out there. But once we, as we go into the week, so probably by midweek, we're starting to see the southern parts clear. Okay. But it probably won't be till the end of the week that sort of the plenty 
areas of getting season any decent amount of sunshine. Right. Okay. But uh, that's quite the system you were referring to. Uh, yeah. Around 100 millimetres in Tenamai and and in some of these areas that are already uh, looking the goods and have lots of water around. Yeah, and because they are quite or the the ground is saturated, a lot of that water isn't going to run off. It's just going to sit there, mm. or it's not going to soak in just because the water the ground's already waterlogged. I'm just looking at uh, the radars. The big circle of rain that sort of bang on the border there. Uh, near sort of Lizardell Station, south of Lake Argyle. Is is yep. that the system that's coming towards the Territory, or is that just a whole yes. other story? Oh, no, that's that's part of it. It's probably the circulation might be, this on the surface, might be a little bit further north, mm. sort of more tucked up around the... the just south of the... just over land of the JB Gulf. But the the... These lows have got some lows up right up through the atmosphere. They're not always vertically stacked over each other, so it could be that's a bit further down, or a little bit of convergence on the surface is just putting the the big storm away from the the low level circulation. But that's all tied up with the low that's going to move into the the Tanami. It's, it's, it's going, as I said, it's going to be fairly slow moving. So it's only, I suppose it's only got a couple of days to get there, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's that's all tied up with that. Anything else we need to be aware of? No, just watch out for the heavy rainfall. We've still got the potential for also for heavy rainfall with the thunderstorms outside the, the broader flood watch. So just, just be alert to any of the warnings that we do put out. Okay, thank you for your time this afternoon. There's a lot going on. Yeah, that's okay. Nominations are now open for Farmer of the Year with 10 categories spanning all ages and stages of life on the land. Let's recognise the hard work of our rural leaders, innovators and farming legends and celebrate those in our rural sector who go above and beyond. You can enter yourself or someone you know at farmeroftheyear.com.au Proudly supported by the Kandinan Group and ABC Rural. There's been some big rain in the last 72 hours and there's more to come. Let's head to the Plenty Highway now in Central Australia. It's been raining at Huckada Station. Anna Gook is there this afternoon. How's it this afternoon, Anna? It's still drizzling, Matt, which is quite quite amazing after our 72 mil that we measured at the house. <laughs> and you had a pretty decent Christmas as well, Yes. Oh, we did. We, I think, uh, 196 mil over the Christmas period and then um, oh, 20 mil early January and now this. So it's, the country looks amazing. Have you had a chance to get up in a chopper or something and, and have a look around and, and see what rivers are doing? Oh, yeah. Jay, uh, no, not today. Jay did earlier. Everything, I mean, our rivers run and disappear pretty quickly but um, there, there's yeah, plenty of feed around. Cattle are very fat and happy. <laughs> um, in terms of a start, how does this rate with what you've seen over the years? Uh, this, uh, this is our best year since we've been here. So we're coming into our fifth year now. And this is by far the best year. And you're not alone. I mean, uh, for me, driving from Alistair Darwin last week... All of your friends in the cattle industry seem like um, they're just having an absolute win this year, which is lovely. Oh, it is. It's fantastic. So it's it, and it's well, even across Huckata, it's quite 
quite widespread, which is good. Even though there were storms, it seems to be filling in all the all the areas now, which is good. And I'm not sure if you were able to hear Sally Cutter at the Weather Bureau there talk about this system that's due to come in through sort of the Tenamine into the Barkley. Even if you do get a little bit of extra rain off the back end of that, what would that mean for Hakata? Oh, it had set us up for the whole year. I think we'd be fine then because I think we'd be getting some great subsoil moisture and the feed will just hang on for a lot longer. So that'd be fantastic. And tell me, is there a special spot on Hakata? Like after the rainfall, is there a little billabong, little creek or something that you can treat yourself to a swim and a bit of a picnic and stuff? Oh, we've got a nice dam, a okay, nice yep. shady dam that we go to for, for the odd barbecue, Sunday barbecue. Beauty. Because you need to celebrate this stuff, Anna. You can't just stay in the homestead. You've got to celebrate the rain, don't you? Oh, definitely. We get out and about as soon as we can. <laughs> Beauty. And uh, just finally, what's your sense on what cattle prices might do? What are, what are you expecting in 2023? Well, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping they're good. You know, we'll have fat cattle this year, so I hope they'll definitely probably won't be as high as what they have been last year, but I, th- I think we might be okay. Yeah, well, we wish you all the best. Thanks for being our weather correspondent this afternoon. Lovely hearing from you and uh, and all the best with that follow-up rain. Thanks, Matt. Have a good day. You too, bye. <laughs> that is uh, Anna Gook who is at Huckata Station this afternoon. That's out there on the Plenty Highway. 70 millimetres, about 70 millimetres in the gauge this morning, around 200 millimetres in the Christmas period. More rain due to come. What a time to be in the centre. Hello, my name's Tom Burrow. I'm a... Ranger over on Groot Island, and you're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon, and I am joined in the studio by Dan Fitzgerald. Good to see you, Dan. And you too, Matt. Welcome back. (laughs) It's been a while. There's an interesting story that's come out of Western Australia. A radioactive story. What can you tell us? Yeah, this is a bit of a weird one, Matt. Um, Authorities are on the lookout for a tiny piece of radioactive, what they're calling a capsule. A radioactive Uh, capsule? Yeah, there was a whole emergency management press conference held uh, late on Friday to tell the public about this, to be on the lookout for this piece of radioactive material being described as a capsule, and it is small just eight millimetres by six millimetres. Um, and this capsule, it is believed to have rattled loose from the back of a truck that was on a journey from one of Rio Tinto's mines near Newman to a depot in Perth. So it was lost somewhere along a 1,400 kilometre journey by road. <laughs> so they want to find a capsule that's eight millimetre by six millimetre, somewhere between Newman and Perth. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. This, okay. is, this is proper needle in the haystack sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, the uh, Department of Fire and Emergency Services, David Gill, um, here's a bit of what he said about the search that is underway. The capsule appears to have been lost during transportation between mine sites north of Newman and northeast or in northeastern parts of Perth. It's very small. Uh, it's around about six millimetres in diameter and eight millimetres high. The start and finish of the transportation journey from the mine site north of Newman and the transport depot in Perth uh, are among some of the locations uh, 
that are searched and being searched yesterday, but the capsule remains unfound. Now we're starting to comb roads and other areas in the search zone, specifically parts of the Great Northern Highway in Perth's northeast. We're confirming the exact route and stops made during the transportation using GPS and other means. So all other potential known locations can be appropriately investigated and searched thoroughly. We understand there are challenges here. It is uh, 1,400 kilometres between the mine site in Newman or to the north of Newman and Perth. It's important that we conduct a concerted, coordinated search to find this capsule and remove any potential risk. That is David Gill. He's from the WA Department of Fire and Emergency Services. So, um, yeah, they've already been on the lookout for this capsule, Matt. They've searched areas around the mine site and the transport depot where this truck ended up. Uh, but they haven't found anything yet. They've even been asking people to check their tyres who've been on that road to see if there's any this tiny capsule lodged in the tyres. Um, and and why is it important to find? Like, what's the risk of this little capsule? Yeah, well, the public are being advised to not go near it if they do see this tiny <laughs> piece of capsule. <laughs> so look for it in your tyre, but don't go near it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, because it does have a decent amount of radioactivity to it. Um, the WA's Chief Health Officer, Andy Robert, Robertson, he explained the potential dangers that are uh, there to the public. It is a 19 gigabecquerel cesium-137 ceramic source. That may not mean a lot to people, but probably more concerning is that it does emit a reasonable amount of radiation. It emits around two um, millisieverts per hour of radiation. So this is a source that we have to be very careful of. Now, what is two millisieverts? People, it's around receiving 10 x-rays in an hour. The message to the community is if you see anything that looks like this source, um, we would urge people to stay away from the source and ideally stay at least five metres away. Do not touch this item if, if you believe it is the source. Don't put it in a bag. Don't put it in your car. It is, as I said, the radiation is around two millisieverts per hour at one metre. If you have it closer than that, then the amount of dose you're getting is, will increase. The closer you get to it, uh, you get an increasing dose. That is Andy Robertson. He's WA's Chief Health Officer speaking there about this radioactive capsule. Um, it has come from one of Rio Tinto's mines in the Pilbara. Um, the industry sometimes uses these sort of radioactive gauges um, at mine sites. Now, Rio Tinto, it's actually apologised to the WA community um, after this um, capsule went missing. Um, in a statement, Rio said it had conducted radiological surveys at the mine site and it's launched its own investigation into just what has went wrong here. Have we got a sense on what this capsule gets used for? Uh, n- no, not yet. Um, not that I've seen that's yeah, been I'll... properly explained. But um, What an interesting, bizarre story. Yeah, my guess would be used in some sort of measurement device, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. Thank you. People can read more about this on the ABC News website. No, you can't make money out of dirt that's dry. Bring on the rain from the stormy sky. Grab a beer from the fridge and raise it high. Because it's raining on the plains again. Right across the territory on the ABC, this is the Country Hour. An Aussie shearer is recovering today after beating a world shearing record in Tasmania over the weekend. Aidan Kopp. What a legend. He shore 605 lambs in eight hours. 
beating the previous record of 527. Reporter Will Murray was on hand to watch all the action. And a few hours into the attempt, he spoke to Aiden's trainer, Lucy Byers. Three, two, one, go! Yeah, he's right on. He's um, He is... Um, exceeding probably expectations, um, but he his lead up was um, epic. He yeah, he had a very yeah motivated and very um, driven mindset. So he he's not faltering. He's amazing. And can you tell me a little bit about that lead up? These people are incredibly fit that take on these uh, these world record attempts. Absolutely. Um, so it'd be nothing for Aiden to um, do a full day in the shed, a shearing, you know, sitting up around his four hundred tallies and. He would then just go out and probably put a weighted vest on and do a 20, 25k run. So, um, or swimming or, you know, bike riding. He was, um, or just going for the gym. He's phenomenal. But probably more so, I think his mental strength is just above and beyond. Like, to be able to do any of that, you've just got to have major mental strength. So they train, effectively, they train like professional athletes. Oh, an elite athlete. Um, to, to take on a world record like this, um, shearers in their own right um, are athletes, but then taking it on to that world, uh, you know, world record status is, is an elite athlete. And can you tell us, what's the breakdown like? We've got four runs that he has to go through. Yep. What kind of pace is he having to keep to get near that world record? So, yeah, he's, he's sitting on between that 45, you know, sort of second rate... Yeah, and, he, and he's not faltering. He, he's, he's amazing. Um, you know, and he's got to, and in knowing in that, he's got to change his own gear. He's got to, he's got to be on all that himself. So he's, he's just ticking over. He's really holding it well. And you, you mentioned it's about that 45 second per sheep, Sean. Sean. You know, if that's 45 seconds for world record pace, what are you normally sitting on? You know, it can vary. It, it, it really does depend on the animal, but you could be sitting, you know, a, your shearer would be, would be sitting at a minute, a little bit, a little bit over a minute um, per sheep. And, you know, but the thing is, we, what we, we look at is they can have one run where they'll really push out and they'll exceed expectations. Um, and then they'll probably just back off. But when you're doing a world record, you've got to try and maintain it for the whole day. So... Um, it's more endurance and holding that high speed at, at endurance for the day, which is where it's at. And we're talking an eight-hour day, so what kind of toll is that taking on uh, Aiden's body? Oh, yeah, so it can take a real toll. Um, you know, you've got to be looking at that muscle fatigue, that lactic acid build-up, um, making sure that we're getting that hydration in there and keeping everything really, really hydrated, because it can. It can have a real massive toll on that body. But... Um, that's where that lead-up is so important, um, getting it right. And, he, and he's, he's got it right. I'm Darren Ford, and my role was to, on the times to keep him motivated and give him the time, split time. So what I've done is set him at 48 seconds, and I yell that out every time. It comes to 48 seconds, so he's got to try and keep in front of it. So that's how he knows how he's going. And then at the end, we assess how many he's done, which would come to 150 or 153, you know. And we push him the last little bit to try and get the catch, get the hand on the door to get the catch. So, um, that's my role, is just to keep him motivated and know where he is, what, how many he's sharing and stuff. So. And I've just heard that you are yourself a former uh, shearing world record holder. Yes, I've done, I held um, three records over my times, and I still got part of a record with a team record, 16 record back in New Zealand. So um, yeah, I've been through all that before and it's not easy. It's unbelievably hard. You're working so much harder than what you normally do on a normal day. 
Um, so yeah, it, it is bloody hard. But in saying that, he's trained and prepared for it. So he knows, and he's done one before, so he knows what he's going through. So. Can you give us an indication of the toll it takes on your body to shear a sheep every 45, 48 seconds for an eight-hour day? Well, I'll just go back to one of mine years ago. I lost about six kilos on the day from when I started the day to the end of the day. So um, I started at 81 kilos. I ended up on 75 point something. So that's how much it drains you. Um, and because you're shearing so many and your body's not used to shearing that many as well. So it's... It's so hard, but hopefully, he's feeling it now at lunchtime, but, um, you know, that good lunch break, and come that last 10 minutes, he'll lift again, I reckon, before the start of the next run. And how did the shearer Aidan Cop feel after breaking the record? Oh, it was a good day out. Um, that due a rest, uh, yeah, I knew I'd have a good result. I've done the training, but uh, sort of, I didn't think I'd do that many, but... There he is, Aidan Kopp from New South Wales, a new world record holder, shearing 605 lambs in eight hours. That's 75 of them every single hour hope he's getting a massage this afternoon well done to Aiden. there's a really good video up on the abc rural website about that world records you should go and check it out search for abc rural and there it is that's it for today's country hour it's good to be back keep it rural